Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Tonight is Mormonism. How many of you have ever ran into or met a Mormon? All right, hands down again. How many of you have ever had a Mormon knock on your door? More than once. All right, I figured as much. Let me go ahead and recommend two books on Mormonism, all right? These are two that I think will help you. And again, I'm not going to, um, if you want to look at them afterwards, see what kind of, what, how the layout is, you're welcome to come up and look at them. The first one is called Reasoning from the Scriptures with the Mormons. Um, and it's by Ron Rhodes, and he just goes through all of their beliefs and compares their beliefs to what the Bible teaches. And so if you, maybe this would be really good if, for instance, if you just want to learn more, or if your neighbor is a Mormon and you have a lot of conversations with them and you want to learn what they believe and what the Bible has to say about it, this tells you if they say this, ask this, or go to this first. This is a, a good help if you want to be talking with people who hold the Mormonism. And again, it's called Reasoning from the Scriptures with the Mormons. All right. The second one is called Mormonism 101. Mormonism one-on-one, examining this religion. Again, it's not. It, it, this is more for information. If you just want to sit down and read a book and learn more about the Mormons, this would be the one to read. If you're wanting to learn how to c- converse with Mormons, um, then that's the other one you want. So that one is Reasoning from the Scriptures with the Mormons. This one is called Mormonism 101. Um, and again, both of them, I use both of them and along with several others in preparation for tonight, but I think those will be two things that are helpful. I also have up here um, a Book of Mormon, all right? Um, if you were just to look at it, pick it up, you would not know it's the Book of Mormon, you just think it's a Bible, um, bound the same way, and, and, but then when you open it up, you begin seeing that um, I've never heard of the Book of Second Nephi, um, or... Helaman, or I mean, there's several different ones. And so, again, uh, if you want to just look through this, flip through this, see what it's like, you're welcome to come up and look at it afterwards. And then, as we're going to learn tonight, they have two other writings that they view as their holy writings. It's called uh, Doctrines and Covenants, is one, and then the Pearl of Great Price is the second. And so, I've got a copy of, I've got both of these in one volume here. And again, if you'd like to come up and see what these are, what they look like, what the writing's like. Um, it's written in chapter and verse, just like the, uh, the Bible is, and so it's very easy to follow and read through. If you want to take a look at that, you are more than welcome to do so. And so, um, just want you to be aware that those are available for you. All right, y'all ready to dive in? All right, let's do it. Mormonism. I was first introduced to Mormonism on a mission trip when I was 17 years old to Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, and on that trip, I was, a, I was a member of the youth group, and the pastor went with us, and the youth pastor went, and we went out, and we um, were led on a mission trip with a Mormon missionary, a missionary who went to Salt Lake City to start a church, to plant a church, specifically with the goal of reaching Mormons. If you know anything about Mormonism, as we'll see here in a minute, Mormonism is headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, 
and it is the, the hub of the Mormon church. And so on this first mission trip, we would go and we were mainly doing literature distribution to let the community around the church know that this church existed. They were starting to meet in an old bank that had shut down, and so they had to sign up, and we did painting and yard work and all kinds of stuff in the church. But then we'd go around the neighborhoods, and we would knock on doors and let people know, hey, we've got a new church starting in your area. We'd love for you to come visit, and we would give them the information about the church. Here's what was interesting about Salt Lake City, Utah. Four out of five doors that we knocked on were adherence to Mormonism. So when you go to Salt Lake City, Utah, at least back in um, when we went on this trip, the majority of people in Utah hold to Mormonism on some level. Several years later, I was the youth pastor at the same church, and I led a mission trip to Salt Lake City, Utah, where we went and was doing the same thing with the same missionary, with the same church. And again, we went around, and we probably had 20 teens on this mission trip, and we went around, we rented a bus, went around, we'd drop people off in different neighborhoods, and we'd go and knock on doors, and we would try to have conversations with people more about Mormonism. So before we ever left on this trip, in order to qualify to go on this trip, you had to come to a four-week training on the beliefs of Mormonism and how to interact with someone who holds to Mormonism that I was teaching. And that was one of the requirements. You couldn't go on the trip if you didn't come to the class. Even the pastor of the church had to come to the class to be able to go on the trip to Salt Lake City, Utah. And he came and sat in. We had handouts, and we studied Mormonism for four weeks. We looked at quotes and what they believed and what the Bible has to say. On both of these trips to Salt Lake City, Utah, we went and we toured the Mormon temple, the main Mormon temple that is the head of the Mormon church. I, I meant to get a picture of it to show you. It is a huge, elaborate, beautiful building. Now, here's what was fun about this, is when we walked in, they had a group of security guards follow us around the whole time, so we started splitting up just to see what they would do. And we would, we would go this way and around this way, but we had security guards following us. Why? Well, they didn't want us distributing any information or any literature that was opposed to what they teach in the religion of Mormonism. And so it was, it was very interesting to go around and see how they have their, their temples, their churches structured, to see how much money they pour into their churches. It was very fascinating, very interesting. How many of you, have, have any of you ever toured a Mormon temple, been, been to something like that? Okay, several of you have. Um, so you know what I'm talking about. They, they put a lot into it. But what I'm more interested in this evening is their beliefs. We're studying Mormonism. Anybody know the other name for Mormonism? The Church of, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right? So in some of the books I have that's just a, a, a compiled chapters on different religions. I, I was going through one this afternoon just kind of looking back through, and I was looking through the the table of contents for Mormonism, and it wasn't there. So why wouldn't they cover Mormonism? It was like, oh, wait. And I went back up and looked, and guess what it was listed under? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So when you hear Mormonism and you hear the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, know that's exactly the same thing, just two different names. Now, let's, let's dive into our inter introductory material. All right, A. Mormonism was founded in 1830 in New York. It is now headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah. Who started Mormonism? Joseph Smith, good job. All right. Joseph Smith started Mormonism in 1830. B, there are over 13 million members of the Mormon church worldwide. 
Now that may not that may not sound like a lot compared to the 1.2 billion of Islam or the hundreds of millions in Hinduism or Buddhism or the billion plus in under the broad umbrella of Christianity. But this is a growing group. Again, it's not as old as the others, 1830, but it is growing. Let me go ahead and give you C. They are, there are close to 5 million members in the United States. In fact, it is listed as the fifth largest Christian church. Now, what, when we hear that, that it is listed as the fifth largest Christian church, what needs to come to our mind? What do they mean by Christian? They claim to be Christian. All right, so in their mind, if you go up to a Mormon, Jason, you're my Mormon tonight. If you go up to a Mormon and say, hey, are you a Christian? Guess what he's going to say? Yes. Or you ask them, or if a Mormon asks you, are you a Christian? And you say yes. Don't assume that because someone has the label Christian that they believe what the Bible teaches or they believe what you believe. All right? So when we see the fifth, lar- fifth largest Christian church, understand that there's a lot included in that. D. They have over two, excuse me, they have over 20,000 churches and 100 temples in the 150, in 150 countries. So while it is not a huge in comparison, adherent-wise, they are present in 150 countries. How do you think they are establishing a presence so quickly in so many countries? I heard it. They do a lot of work. Mission, missionary. What are Mormons known for? Missionary work. All Mormons are required to do two years of missionary work. This has led to the rapid spread of Mormonism. In fact, when someone wants, when someone gets to the place where they're going to be a Mormon missionary, they don't get to pick where they go. They are assigned a place. So you may go, and now obviously if you already know Spanish, they're going to put you in a Spanish-speaking country, but they may, it's not uncommon for them to put someone who speaks English with someone who speaks Spanish in Costa Rica. You have no idea where you're going to go. You have no idea where you're going to end up. E, the Mormon church has at least doubled every 15 years since 1945. It's growing. This is not something that is declining. This is not a religion that is stagnant. This is a religion that is doubling every 15 years. Now, that may not seem like huge growth, but what happens over a long period of time is all of a sudden now it is a major religion. Um, Mormonism is a religion that is more prevalent in the West but yet they have missionaries and churches established in the East. Their goal is to, is to establish churches and temples all over the world. Yeah. You always ask the question, I don't know the answer to. Does anybody know the um, Southern Baptist, how many members there are in Southern Baptist? I'm, I, I don't know. Sorry. I will find out. I will. Um, F. They have more than 60,000 missionaries at any one time. All right. They have over 300,000 converts a year, mainly from Christian churches. This is what's alarming. All right. They have over 300,000 converts a year, people who turn to the Mormon faith 
And they will tell you themselves that the majority of their converts are from other Christian churches. Why should that concern us? People don't know what they believe. We're, we're losing them. Um, one of the Mormons, uh, we talked with a member or a leader in a, not the Mormon temple, but a Mormon church, and he told us that they get more converts from Baptist, the, the Baptist denomination than any other Christian denomination. So if you want to dive into this a little bit deeper, um, not only do they have 300 converts a year, not only are they mainly from other Christian churches, I've had Mormon leaders in the Mormon church tell me that they have more Baptists turning to Mormonism than any other Christian church. Dick? 16 million Southern Baptists. There you go. Google is wonderful. Six, 16 million Southern Baptists. All right. So why should this be concerning that they are mainly from other Christian churches? I mean, what is this telling you? Rebecca, you, you mentioned a key point that it's demonstrating that people maybe don't know why they believe what they believe, or do they don't know what they believe. I mean, why would someone switch from a Bible-believing Baptist church to a Mormon church? Okay, they didn't find what they were looking for or what they wanted in a Baptist church. Any other thoughts? Say what? Okay, maybe they weren't true Christians to begin with. Here's something else, Helen. Very family-oriented. That is true about Mormons? Absolutely. Somebody in the back? I saw a hand. So it's a very deceitful belief system in that they use a lot of the same terminology that we use, but that means something completely different by it. Lewis? Yeah. So picture this. Picture how this, how this is. You have, let's say you've been, you've been witnessing to your neighbor, and you've been striving, you've been sharing Christ with your neighbor and living this Christian life in front of your neighbor, and they come to church with you, and one day you're talking about it, and they say they want to accept Christ, and you say, okay. And you lead them in accepting Christ. And they, they are saved, but they're a babe in Christ. They've never been in church. They don't know anything. And so you're teaching, and they, they start coming to church. And all they know is they know the basics. I'm a Christian. God loves me. sent Jesus to die for me. Jesus is God's son. Those core things. But beyond that, they don't know. They get a knock at their door one day, and somebody's there, and they say, oh, we're with the Mormon church. And you tell them, fantastic, I go to this church. And they begin talking with you, and they don't criticize that, do they? Have you ever had anybody t criticize you when you tell them you go to church? They usually say, fantastic. Let's talk about, let, let's talk about it. And so they begin talking about it, and they're excited about their faith, and they find out, these people I'm talking to, they're Christians too. They, they believe the Bible. In fact, they're carrying a copy of God's Word with them. And they start talking, and they believe Jesus is God's Son, and I believe Jesus is God's Son. They start talking, and they, it's, it's so similar. And like you said, Lewis, they get so confused. Now, fast forward. Let's go back. The same individual accepts Christ, starts going to church. The Mormons haven't knocked on their door yet. They start going to church. They're in church 10, 15, 20 years. In that time, Rebecca, what you said is they've simply been coming to church listening to the pastor. They haven't been reading their Bible. They don't study their Bible. They really don't know why they what they believe or why they believe it. They, they've learned some key things that the pastor says that they kind of regurgitate back if they need to. So that individual now, much older, been saved much longer, they get a knock at the door. They open it and the Mormons are there and they start talking with them. And guess what? 
they're Christians like me. And they believe Jesus is God's son, and they start talking with him. What's the difference between the first example and the second example? About 20 years. Right? Age. This new believer in Christ was learning, and obviously they're more susceptible, and I don't put the responsibility on them at this point. So they're new in Christ, a babe in Christ, learning, starting to grow. They're deceived. They're still learning what's true and what's not true, but they're striving. Fast forward 20 years, you still have the same problem. They're still a babe in Christ. Still don't know what they believe or why. They're more churchy and they're more religious, but when it comes to defending their faith, they're no more able to defend their faith than they were 20 years ago when they accepted Christ. The problem is the same. And so when, you, when we ask, what is the primary concern, all of these things are concerns. Christians, Baptists typically are not very good at knowing why they believe what they believe. You mix that with a religion that is sending out 60,000 missionaries every couple of years. You mix that with a religion that is somewhat deceitful and that it uses the same terminology. It creates this perfect storm where people who do not know what they believe, when they encounter frequently missionaries with a deceptive religion, they're going to fall prey to it, right? So how can we, I know we're on a little bit of a rabbit trail, just go with me for a second. How can we combat this? So let's say you bring someone to church. You've been sharing your faith and you've been inviting people to church and someone gets saved and they come to church. What do we do? How can we be sure that they are not one of those 300,000 converts who leaves the Baptist church and goes to Mormonism? How can we guard against this reality? Discipleship. All right. Say what? Accountability? Prayer? Prayer. Don't answer the door. door. (laughs) We need to to be knocking on doors first. Um, We've got to teach people that simply attending a church service does not guarantee that you're growing spiritually. You know it's possible to attend a church service for 10 years? You learn new things. You learn new facts but you're still susceptible because you don't know why. Any other thoughts? Some, I, I think that is a fantastic point. Let, let me kind of reiterate what she said. If someone is a new believer in Christ and they start attending a church and they see turmoil, conflict, fighting, and, a, and that church split, they're going to look at that and say, you know what, that's not what I'm looking for. They're going to be more open to something else. Why? Because they're going to have somebody knock on the door and say, you know what, that doesn't happen at our church. Why don't you come over here and visit with us? We've never, we don't have anything like that. And to the Mormons' credit, they don't. They, they have a different structure and a different way of doing things, and that's just not as prevalent. So, Sandy, I think that's a great point. If we have people who are experiencing negative things in a Bible-believing church, they are going to be more susceptible and more open to things that aren't true. Very good point. All right, so all of these things are true. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be careful. We've got to teach. The other thing that we have to do is understand that people are a whole lot less likely to leave the church when they have relationships with people in the church. Um, if somebody just comes in and sets and then leaves whenever turmoil, whenever they go through that roller coaster that we talked about this morning of life, 
or, and then they presented with something else that sounds good, they're a lot more likely to leave when they are not connected to other people in the church. We need each other. We need relationships with each other. We need the, the, the accountability that comes with that. And so all of these things are good, but it's something for us to think about, right? It's something for us to be on guard against. All right, G. The Mormon church pulls in about $4.7 billion annually and is currently worth over $8 billion. I just found that interesting. Currently worth over $8 billion. This is how they fund the 60,000 missionaries. This is how they fund the, the starting of churches and the building of temples, which are kind of the hubs that then help the churches. It's how they all work together. All right, H, Brigham Young University. Ever heard of it? Brigham Young University is the largest private university in the United States. It's interesting, if you ever watch football, which I occasionally do, not as much this year, but <laughs> if you ever watch football and you're watching a Brigham Young football game, you'll regularly hear them say, so-and-so is a senior just back from his two-year mission. You'll regularly hear that, and they announce that, the commentators are taught when you're announcing this, because sometimes you'll see like a 24-year-old and you're like, what? Well, he just came back from his two-year mission, so they... It, 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 it doesn't matter what you do, you are involved in missions. You're on the football team. You go, you work out, you train, you go to this, and you're part of this team. When it's time to do your mission, you stop football and you go. What kind of mindset, how is that mindset different than in many other churches? They're putting it to the practice. They're putting it to practice. Yeah, Jason? In a way, I actually think they're more correct. They recognize that everyone has this calling on their life. Now, obviously, some people are called by God to vocational missions, and that would be true. They would say that's true in the Mormon church as well. There are people who will move and spend their life in mission work for the Mormon church. But what they are teaching is that if you are a believer in Mormonism, you have a calling on your life to share your faith, and it is required that everybody do that. Now, I know some of you are going to go, and you're going to be vocationally called, and you're going to give your life to this, but everybody is to do it for at least two years. It, it is part of your Christian duty. Jason? Yeah, they have different things they do. A lot of times they work in orphanages. They work at homeless centers, things like that, but they do as well. A lot of times what you see is the men are out doing the canvassing, but the women also have things that they do as well. Um, yes. Yeah, once you become a member in the Mormon church, it is very, very hard to leave. One, all your family is there. Two, your life is there. Three, you've invested so much, it's tough to leave. And quite honestly, that's the way they want it. And that's not necessarily, I mean, if we're looking at the church, it should be hard for somebody to leave our church. Why? They, hopefully they know they're loved. Hopefully they have friends here. Hopefully they've built relationships here. Hopefully they have accountability here. Hopefully they've learned to depend on each other here. They, it should be like when they leave that there's a void in their life that the people in the church are not filling. And so um, the whole point with the Brigham Young that I wanted to highlight is the, they view it as everyone is called to be a missionary we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to share our faith. We're all called to witness. Some people will do it with their entire lives, but everybody should be doing it at least for a couple of years. Well, it's spread. It's, caught, it's led to the spread of Mormonism, and it's growing rapidly. And I have a feeling that if we were to come back in 15 years and do this exact same study, that we would be seeing numbers that have more than doubled in Mormonism. All right? So 
All of that to say, while we disagree with their doctrine, there are some things that we would say, you know what? They're doing some things probably in a good way. Yeah, they have to. One of my friends in high school, name was Jason Ray, and um, he, he, his, whole, his family was Mormon, and before we graduated, everybody asked him, what are you going to be doing? And he would tell everybody, well, I'm planning to go on my mission. And everybody's like, what was that? Well, what would happen if, as Bible-believing Christians, we just had, it was just understood, you know what, we're going to live on mission. It's not something somebody else does, it's something we're all called to do. All right, that's the introductory material. Now, let's get into the rest of this. Now, you're going to notice it looks a little longer. What I'm going to do tonight, next week, and the following two weeks of this study, once we get back to, to this in January, is I'm including a lot of quotes because I want to substantiate what I say. I don't, I don't want this just to be my take on something. I want to provide quotes to where you can see this from the writers of the leaders of Mormonism that what I'm saying is actually true. All right, so A, how does Mormonism add or take away from the Bible? A, they recognize four writings as authoritative. All right, the first is the Bible. And what they will tell you is that it is only the King James Version of the Bible that is authoritative. However, they have added and taken away from it to where there's certain things. Well, I'll explain what they do in a minute. But if you, they come to your house, they will have typically two books they'll have their Bible and their Book of Mormon. And the first one that you will always see is the Bible. Why? Let your guard down. Let your guard down. They'll have the Bible. And if you start quoting the Bible, guess what they'll do? They'll quote the Bible with you. They know it. All right? So they have the Bible, too. They have the Book of Mormon, which they say is another testament of Jesus Christ. By the way, no cities or nations mentioned in the Book of Mormon have ever been found, and no ancient copies of the Book of Mormon have ever been found. Just interesting piece of information. But... Got a copy of the Book of Mormon right here, all right? This is, and what they will tell you is if you start bringing up, and I've done this many times, start bringing up contradictions between the Book of Mormon and the Bible, you know what they're going to say? Well, that's where the Bible has been translated incorrectly, and you just need to trust what the Book of Mormon says. So even in that statement, they are taking these two, which in first conversation, they'll say, yes, we believe both of them. You start digging a little bit deeper, what you begin finding is that the Book of Mormon, in their mind, is far more reliable and trustworthy than the Bible. And if there's any contradictions, you always go with the Book of Mormon every time. So you have the Bible, you have the Book of Mormon. Number three, you have doctrines and covenants, which is this. It's 138 revelations from God. And so they would say you have the Bible, you have the Book of Mormon, which is a more precise trustworthy word from God. You have the doctrines and covenants, which is our an additional 138 re revelations from God. And then you also have number four, the pearl of great price. These are two lost books of the Bible, a retranslation of Matthew, the Mormon 13 articles of faith, and the history of Joseph Smith. That is what, if you ever want to know what in the world is the pearl of great price, that's what it is. It is two lost books of the Bible, a retranslation of Matthew, the 13 articles of faith for the Mormon church, and the history of Joseph Smith. And the history of Joseph Smith is interesting. I don't know if it's accurate, but it's interesting. Um, 
And they have a verse here, and like for instance, in the beginning of this, this is the chapter on Joseph Smith, and so it has a verse quoted from Matthew, and it says an, an extract from a translation of the Bible. So even in their pearl of great price, they quote the Bible. So you see how they start mingling all it, it all in. So whenever I say that it is a deceptive religion... What I'm saying is they take the truth of the Bible, the teachings of the Mormon church, and they begin mixing them together to where it all sounds like the exact same thing. In fact, if you look at the Book of Mormon, one thing you'll find is that it is laid out exactly. I know you can't, none of you can see this, right? Just looks just like the Bible, but it's laid out. You got chapters, you got verses, you got footnotes, you got cross references. It looks exactly like the Bible. Um. And this re- they'll reference from one place in their Book of Mormon to the doctrines of covenants. And so, again, it's deceptive in the sense that to a Mormon, it's not deceptive. It's just the way it is. To an outsider, we have to be careful because it is very tricky. All right? B, so they recognize those four writings as authoritative. I, I want to read a quote from a book before we move on um, about the Bible. All right? This is about the excuse me this is about the book of mormon joseph said that the book of mormon is here's the quote it is the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion and a man would get nearer to god by abiding by its precepts than any other book talking about the book of mormon all right so whenever they say we believe in the bible and we believe in the book of mormon what do they really mean we believe in the book of mormon Joseph Smith, the founder, again, says, a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. And what would be included in any other book? The Bible. All right, so I want you to see how even though they're going to say we value both, we hold to both, both are authoritative, when it comes down to it, the Bible is at the bottom of the stack. And, And in the places where the Bible does not contradict, they will say, yeah, it's authoritative. All right? B, they believe the president of the Mormon church to be a prophet. And so as, as the prophet, he can add clarifications on revelation from God, and he even has the authority to add things as revelation from God. And so they have other Mormon publications where they do that. C, they reject the infallibility of the Bible. We already talked about this. Placing the other three texts above it in importance. We've already mentioned that. They They'll tell you, yes, we believe the Bible's authoritative, but then it'll be at the bottom of the stack. And again, I've got a quote here. Let me read this, D, on your outline. The Lord inspired the prophet Joseph Smith to restore truths to the Bible text that had become lost or changed. These restored truths clarified doctrines and improved scriptural understanding because the Lord revealed to Joseph certain truths. The Joseph Smith translation is more revelation than literal translation. So they actually have their own translation of the Bible that once you become a part of the Mormon church that you will use in services. You know what they're saying? The Bible is wrong. And so God gave Joseph Smith this new translation. It's not really a translation. It's a new revelation. So what do we believe, what, as Bible-believing Christians, what do we believe about new revelation? The Bible says it's sufficient, right? What else? He served as, he served as a prophet, priest, and king in, the, in those roles. Do not add or subtract. 
I heard one person say, and Jason and I have talked about this quite a bit, I heard one person say one time about people standing up and saying they have new revelation or something to be added to God's Word. If it agrees with God's Word, it's unnecessary, and if it disagrees with God's Word, it's wrong. That's really kind of where I stand on that. If it agrees with God's Word, it's unnecessary. If it disagrees with God's Word, it's wrong. I don't really see a third category. All right? Um, let's move on. Number three, how does Mormonism multiply the requirements for salvation? And basically, all of this is going to fall under this understanding that they view works as necessary for salvation. All right, they view works as necessary for salvation. So here's what they say. You go to them and you say, but the Bible says, you, you believe the Bible. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You know what they're going to say? You are resurrected by grace and saved by works. That's what they're going to tell you. That's a direct quote from their belief system. You are resurrected by grace, however, you are saved by works. So what are these works? Here's number one. The works they must do include faithfulness to church, baptism, tithing, other rituals, and then this, you could also put those missions that they go on, these two-year missions. They view this as necessary. This is how you earn God's favor. Let me prove this with some quotes. I got three of them here. This is from Spencer Kimball, the president of the LDS. What does LDS stand for? Latter-day Saint Church. The Savior came to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. His birth, death, and resurrection brought about the first, but we must join our efforts with his to bring about the second to attain eternal life. What's the key phrase in that quote? We must join our efforts with his to bring about eternal life. So notice in this they're saying, yes, Jesus came and you have his birth, his death, and his resurrection. However, to bring about eternal life, we must merge our efforts with his. What are they saying? He was not enough. He was not sufficient. He did not do enough. Any religion that says Jesus did not do enough and does not truly believe in the work that Jesus did. Another quote. This is from Henry Earing, from the first presidency of the LDS Church. It is hard to know when we have done enough for the atonement to change our natures and so qualify us for eternal life. And that gets down to the essence of it, right? It is hard to know. He was asked in an interview, how do we know when we've done enough? His answer, it's hard for us to know when we've done enough. It's hard for us to know if we've done enough to earn eternal life. This is from Joseph Smith himself. Every blessing, privilege, glory, and exaltation is obtained only through obedience to the law. If we, if we will abide the law, we shall receive the reward, but we can receive it on no other ground. The way you receive the reward from God is through works, abiding by the law. So when, when I say, how do, they add, how do they multiply the requirements for salvation, understand their complete system for salvation is tied to what you do. And, you know, I at least appreciate the honesty of that second quote where he says, it's hard to know when we've done enough for atonement to change our natures and so qualify us for eternal life. At least that's an honest answer, right? I mean, at least that's a truthful answer. Works are necessary. And again, I've reiterated this over and over, and you're probably tired of hearing it, but what differentiates Christianity from every other religious system in the world is that our faith, our salvation, our eternal life has nothing to do with our works. We do not work to earn salvation. The works that we have in our life are the result of our salvation. So a saved person will work 
But we are not working for our salvation. We are working because of our salvation. You go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Those verses that are very familiar. For we've been saved through, by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works. It is the gift of God, not of, not, 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 lest any man should boast. Verse 10, though, says we have been created for good works. So that salvation leads then to a changed life. It leads to good works. Let's move on. We're, how are we doing on time? All right, we're all right. Number four, how does Mormonism take away from the fact that Jesus was God? A, they believe that Jesus, this is where their, hold on, let me just, this is where their belief system starts sounding a little weird. All right? This is where their belief system starts sounding a little weird. They believe that Jesus was the spirit child of the Father and Mary. He is the firstborn and thus the highest of all the spirit children. He is the literal son of God. Do you catch that? He is the literal son of God. So, Jason, you're my Mormon. Do you believe Jesus is God's son? Do we mean the same thing by this? Not even close. They say that Jesus is the offspring of the Father and Mary, who they call um, the Heavenly Mother. The Heavenly Mother. Jesus is the offspring of the Father and Heavenly Mother, Mary. Um, Let me read... Another quote from this. Each of the numerous father gods have a heavenly wife or wives. Remember in Mormonism, what was prevalent early on in Mormonism? Polygamy. Polygamy. Mormon apostle Orson Pratt explained, Each god, through his wife or wives, raises up a numerous family or, of sons and daughters And as soon as each God has begotten many millions of male and female spirits, he, in connection with his sons, organizes a new world. Kind of sounds a little weird now, doesn't it? All right, start sounding a little weird. And he goes on and talking about what, we'll get more to this here in a second. Um, But let, let me read you this quote underneath this. Jesus is the, this is from BYU professor Stephen Robinson. Jesus is the literal offspring of God. He's got 46 chromosomes, 23 came from Mary, 23 came from God. You have to ask them. But they believe it and they teach it. All right? They believe it and they teach it. That's a major problem, right? It's a major problem. B, they teach that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers. Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers. My question is, how can you believe this and then also claim that the Bible is authoritative? Jason. So does that mean uh, Mary had Lucifer as well? Yes. They are spirit brothers. All right, this is from Mormon educator Jess Christensen. Both the scriptures and the prophets affirm that Jesus Christ and Lucifer and indeed offspring of our Heavenly Father, and therefore our spirit brothers. Both Jesus and Lucifer were strong leaders with great knowledge and influence. All right, they're both spirit brothers. C, they deny the earthly deity of Jesus. Here's from Joseph Smith. Jesus was born with a veil of forgetfulness common to all who were born on earth. This is from Milton Hunter. It was absolutely necessary for even the Son of God to be baptized. He, like the rest of us, must obey every law of the gospel if he was to receive all the blessings predicated on obedience. This is from Bruce McConaughey. 
How do you say that? McConaughey? All right. Jesus kept the commandments of his Father and thereby worked out his own salvation. So you know what? It is blasphemy. Jesus has, is the, the literal offspring of God the Father and Mary. That's blasphemy. He had to work out his own salvation by keeping the commandments of his Father. All right? Is that what the Bible teaches? What does the Bible teach about Jesus? He and the Father is one. We, we believe that the Bible teaches the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We believe that he lived a sinless life. And only by him living a sinless life could he then be the perfect sacrifice for us. All right? Let me give you a few other Mormon beliefs. I want to tie this together with a couple other things. A, they teach that the members of the Trinity are, are three separate gods. Um, they're only one in purpose is what they say. They are only one in purpose. So you have God the Father, He's a God. God the Son's a God. In fact, there are millions of gods. In fact, in the Mormon belief system, you can become a God. That's the goal, and we'll see that here in a second. B, they teach that God the Father was once a mortal man who continually pr progressed to become God. So one of their ideas, one of their belief systems is that you can progress enough, be good enough, learn enough to where you can become a God. In fact, who we call God the Father right now, he was once a mortal man who developed into God. He progressed enough to become God. Yes? What do they believe about creation? Who created God when he was mortal and became God? It's a good, very good. I mean, that's one of the questions you have to ask. I mean, that, that, that's... They don't like those beginning questions because it challenges the whole structure. Um, they actually say that he has a physical body, as does his wife, the heavenly mother. That's what they talk about God. God has a physical body, as does his, heaven, his wife, the heavenly mother. C, the ultimate goal of a Mormon is to become God. Listen to Lorenzo Snow, who's the fifth LDS president. This is one of their common quotes. You'll hear this. As man now is, God once, what's what it should be. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. All right? Let me say that again. Sorry for the typo. As man now is, God once was. So let's, let's pause right there. What are they saying? God used to be just like us. There is no difference other than he's progressed beyond us and he's achieved this God status. But you go back far enough and he was just like us. Is that accurate? All right, I was hoping you all would get that one right. All right, continue. So as man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. So what are they saying in that? You can become a God. It is possible for even Every, uh, we could go around, and I could point out certain people. JP, you can become a god. John? Eh, no. Um, I'm just kidding. John, you can become a god. Yeah, we, we struggle just being a faithful Christian. But it is this progression and this obedience and this day by day, these laws and these rituals and these missions and giving and faithfulness. If you do that long enough, you can be... Come a God. D. Uh, actually, I want to read another quote. This is from that. Saint, this is from a different book, um, Handbook of Cults and New Religions. 
The ultimate goal for human beings in Mormonism is Godhood. Here's what Brigham Young said. He said that the Lord created you and me for the, for the purpose of becoming gods like himself. We were created to become gods like our, heaven in, our Father in heaven. All right? This is what they mean by attaining eternal life. And I'm going I'm to clarify this here in just a second. D, they believe in baptism for the dead. Why would they believe in baptism for the dead? Let me explain another aspect of their belief system. So you can become a god. At death, everyone goes to one of three heavenly kingdoms. All right? They have three heavenly kingdoms, and I used to have the names of these kingdoms memorized, but that's been a long time ago. They have three heavenly kingdoms. The best people go to the top tier and live and reign as gods. So you can become a god through how good you are in this life, and you can go to that top heavenly kingdom, and you can, you can live and reign as a god for all eternity. There's a middle tier. All right, This middle tier is for faithful Mormons. You weren't quite good enough to be a god, but you were close. So we'll, you still go to heaven, but you go to this middle tier of heaven. Then they have this lower tier of heaven for people who were not in Mormonism, but live moral, good lives. So they would say, for us, you're not inherent of Mormonism, but you were religious, and you tried, and you did the best you could, and so you go to this bottom tier. Now, they do have one other category that is called outer darkness, where murderers and apostates go. So if you're guilty of murder, you don't get to go to one of the three levels of heaven. You go to outer darkness. If you are an apostate, what's an apostate? What does the word apostate mean? No, it's not non-believer. One who is left. So at one point, you were an adherent to the Mormon church, if, but then you turned your back on the Mormon church and left. You do not get to go to the one, the three, three levels of heaven. You go to outer darkness. So what does this do to someone who begins questioning Mormonism? Maybe I should leave the Mormon church. I want to be like a murderer. Yeah. Someone who leaves the Mormon church is in the same category as a murderer. Correct. And it is possible, the reason they believe in baptism for the dead is because if enough good works and money and stuff is done for these, those who have already passed, you may just do enough to bump them up a notch. Yeah. All I got to do is be a moral person and I go to heaven. Yeah, I, I got that first level covered. Yes, Deborah. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. According to them, he went to the wrong way, and he's going to be in outer darkness. He. <laughs> Deborah. It's the gods that have gone before you. <laughs> That's a good question. So you don't, again, you go back to that quote I read earlier, you don't know. Yep. And 
again, this is where their belief system gets weird. They say there's other planets, and once you are God long enough and have enough spiritual sons and daughters, then you can go off, and your sons and daughters can inhabit another planet, and you can rule. You can be the God of that planet, and they start getting out and having some weird, some strange beliefs. Um, I don't know as much about that because it's hard for me to say. What does the Bible say about that? Yes, Barbara. Outer darkness, and the way they would define that is separation from God. You, you, you lack all of the, the joys of heaven. Now, this is different. When we get to Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness um, in their first study in January, that's the next thing we're going to do, Jehovah's Witness, they believe in what is called annihilationism. Anybody know what, what annihilationism is? You cease to exist. So you have two different groups of people. You have people who are part of um, the 144,000 Jews. Then you have this other remnant. And if you're not part of the Jehovah's Witness church, then there is no hell. There's no punishment. You just cease to exist. Annihilation. Um, but that's different than what they teach. They teach everybody's going to go to one of these three levels of heaven. It's almost, it's almost a form of universalism that everybody's going to get to go Unless you're a murderer or you've left the Catholic Church, you're an apostate. Yeah, sorry. I'm Mormon Church. Yeah. Yes. And there's still groups within Mormonism that believe in polygamy. That's been one of the challenges of Mormonism over the years is that Joseph Smith so clearly taught polygamy, yet the church moved away from it. And my, my prediction is, with the moral decline of our country, polygamy at some point is going to become allowable again, and I think you'll see that becoming more tolerated and promoted within the Catholic church as time goes on. But that's a whole nother... Why do I keep saying Catholic church? Y'all know what I mean, right? Mormon church. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. What do they believe What do y'all think? Before 1830, what happened? See, what they would say is that you had the Bible, but through the centuries it was corrupted and aspects were lost, and God raised up Joseph Smith to, to correct everything that had been lost and mistranslated and messed up during that time. That's the reason why they, that's the reason why they have to hold to the Bible, because the Book of Mormon... And again, does anybody know the history behind how the Book of Mormon came to be? Yes. So you heard me say that it was started in New York. There were two golden plates. Um, have you ever, ever heard of Moroni? Moroni, some people call it. All right, there are these two golden plates that he golden plates that he found and used that to translate the Book of Mormon. So some of them, the problem with this is. Nobody has ever seen these golden plates. Can't find them anywhere. All right? So, uh, it, again, challenges. Challenges. In fact, you might know how Joseph Smith died. Nope. Say so what? No, he did not wreck on his bicycle. <laughs> that, 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 is, that would be believable. Um, he was actually arrested and in prison, and there was a shootout by some of his followers to break him out of prison that failed, and then he was hung. So, just 
little tidbit of information there. Yeah. And that's the reason why they moved west. That's the reason they moved west is to, because the population was so, so sparse out there and they could practice their polygamy without threat of persecution. That's kind of what motivated the move from New York to um, Salt Lake City. Yeah. No Scientology. There are some relations, and we're going to do Scientology the second week of January, so I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Howard. How does the Book of Mormon compare to the Quran? It's different. Um, again, the Quran teaches a monotheistic religion. There's one God where Mormonism teaches that we can all become gods. Um, They're both similar in that they have a works-based approach to salvation, just like in the Quran. Remember how they have those five pillars of the Islamic faith and these things that you have to do? Mormonism, they have similar things. So I I would say there's some similarities, but there's some pretty significant differences too. Jason? Yeah, They, they would say you you've you can't be saved and, and uh, reject Joseph Smith. Um, that is a key component. Howard? They are both the yes, they are both what they would say. Um, well, well the, the Book of Mormon, they would say, is a correction and addition and clarification to the Bible. The Quran, I don't think the Quran view themselves as much a correction of the Bible as much as it is a different outworking of the Abrahamic faith. Does that make sense? So both Christians and, and Islam view themselves as tracing back to the Abrahamic faith. The, the Quran, they would say, shows you the true faith of Abraham, where we would say the Bible shows the true faith of Abraham, though in what we believe. Versus, it, it's similar, but they go two different directions. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, and one of the things about the, the I mean, the, the one thing about the Quran is that it's very old. There's a lot of history involved in it, and so there may be some. I'm, I, I've never looked into that, but that, that's interesting. Here's what I want you all to take away tonight. We got to stop. Here's what we got to take away tonight. T- two things. One. We have to know what we believe and why, and we have to be able to teach others what we believe and why, because there are religions and belief systems out there that sound good, but are heresy, are wrong, right? They're lies. They deceive millions of people. So to sit back and say, oh, this person is saved, they come to our church, we're done, No, we've got to be vigilant. We have to be careful. Lewis, you mentioned the word discipleship earlier. We've got to be committed to discipleship and teaching and training, building relationships because there are false systems, belief systems out there. The other thing I want to say in closing is that just because, and this is is very closely related, we have to be very careful when we're talking to people that we define our terms. Do we believe in heaven? Do Mormons believe in heaven? Several of them. Do we believe in Jesus? 
Do they believe in Jesus? Do we believe the Bible? Do they claim to value the Bible? Do we believe Jesus is God's Son? Do they claim to believe Jesus is God's Son? Do we believe that hell is outer darkness? Do they believe in outer darkness? You, you see how we could go on and on and on. Terminology, we have to define what we are talking about, which means we have to know what we're talking about, all right? And so hopefully one of the things that this is doing as we're going through this is you're becoming more familiar with what we believe and what the terms mean and what they do not mean. So when we say Jesus is God's son, we do not mean what the Mormons mean. We do not mean that he is the little, literal offspring of God the Father and Mary. That is not what we mean, all right? Be familiar with what we believe so that then you can spot error. You've probably heard the analogy. Dana used to work at a bank way back in 2004, three, four. And one of the things they did in training is that when they were training them to be on guard against counterfeit money, they didn't give them counterfeit money to study. What did they give them to study? Real money, real bills. And by studying and becoming more familiar with real bills, it became easier to spot error. What many of us like to do is we like to go out and study the error, but we never study the original. Study the original, and it'll become more easy to spot the error. All right, let's close in prayer. God, again, we thank you for our time, the privilege of studying, and hopefully we're becoming more grounded in our beliefs and um, not just knowing what other people believe, but hopefully, God, it's helping us know what we don't believe and what we do believe, and so that we can share our faith. And we are reminded again of the importance of studying. We're reminded of the importance of knowing what we believe. God, we understand that we are surrounded by people who have been deceived. And God, that should break our hearts on one hand, but it should also cause us to be very vigilant and committed to sharing with them the truth. I pray that we'd be more committed to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I've got these books up here if you'd like to look at them. Have a Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.